Lord Jesus, we look up into thy face afresh this morning and remind ourselves that we cannot know the truth unless thou dost interpret it to us by the Holy Spirit. So open these spiritual eyes of ours that we may understand wondrous things out of thy holy word. We ask it for thy namesake. Amen. You turn with me to Numbers chapter 21 and concentrate again on those verses 10 to 18. Verses 10 to 18. I want to speak on the subject of a well in the wilderness. Those of you who are familiar with this Old Testament story will remember that on at least two previous occasions God had refreshed his people with water of his providing. The first time was at the commencement of their pilgrimage. The second time was as these weary, grumbling travelers once again brought their complaint to Jehovah and to his servant Moses. But in spite of their discontent, God refreshed them, refreshed them with water from the smitten rock. In New Testament language, that rock is a type of Christ. But now once again, the children of Israel need water. And as always, God is ready for their emergency. His purpose is ever to refresh and revive his people. The longing of his heart is that we should experience daily what Peter describes in a glorious phrase, times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And this morning as the Lord shall enable me, I want from this beautiful and vivid story in the Old Testament to illustrate how God can take your life, my friend, whoever you are, wherever you are, and make you a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Do you feel a sense of stagnation? Have you reached in your experience fixation point? Is there a consciousness, consciousness this morning of a staleness in your life and you long to be fresh? You long to have that experience of springing up and bubbling up for God? Do you want to know personal revival? Then God's purpose is that you should be refreshed this morning as we look together at this wonderful story. Will you consider with me first of all then God's intention for the refreshment of his people. Look at verse 16. God's intention for the refreshment of his people. Gather the people together, said God, and I will give them water. Gather the people together, and I will give them water. I want you to observe that here was a generous intention. Gather the people together. When God meets the sinner, he meets the sinner on an individual basis. It is always an individual and personal confrontation. Never en masse. Always as an individual. But when God meets his people, it's always collectively. He wants to bless them as a whole. I'm not inferring, of course, that God does not deal with us as individual Christians. He does and always will. But his greater purpose is that we should be met as a whole. When we're born into the family of God, his purpose of blessing for us is a comprehensive one. Gather my people, gather the people together. This principle is borne out 
Early in the chapters of the Acts of the Apostles, previously the Lord Jesus had dealt with his own as individuals, personally, one by one. But now it was as a church, as a fellowship, gathered together for worship and for witness. When God's people are thus gathered together, something always happens. The Spirit of God always comes down in a new way upon those who gather together in oneness, the oneness of the Spirit. It's there that God commands the blessing, even life forevermore. It's there that the oil is poured forth. It's there that the dew from Mount Hermon touches the people of God, as the psalmist tells us in his 133rd Psalm. Take this principle of togetherness into the Corinthian epistles and you'll see that Paul teaches again and again, when ye are gathered together for fellowship, when ye are gathered together for ministry, when ye are gathered together for discipline, it's there God's presence is felt. It's there he meets with his people. Jesus, of course, prophesied that this should be so when he made that wonderful declaration where two or three are gathered together in my name there am I in the midst Christian people have often said to me but why bother about me I'm only an individual the church can carry on without me but I want to state quite categorically here this morning that that's the wrong notion every single one matters every member of this fellowship every member of the great family of Calvary matters to God and you're not dispensable you're indispensable. It's only when God's people are gathered together that he will give them water. No wonder the writer to the Hebrews exhorts in that solemn warning, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as ye see the day approaching. The Lord Jesus is on his way back and he wants to do a new thing amongst us. But he will not do it until we're gathered together. There must be not only a gathering together, but a uniting together. And I want to speak especially to our own fellowship here this morning in saying this. Where there is friction, where there is division, whether it's breakdown of fellowship, God cannot bless. We can pray, we can preach, we can work, but God only answers along the lines of his principles. And he says, gather the people together. And that means not only a coming together, but a uniting together in the spirit of unity. Yes, God has a generous intention for his people. He has a genuine intention for his people. Listen to the words again. I will give them water. And the verb will give here carries the thought of certainty, sureness, positiveness. God is ever wanting to pour out blessing upon his people he's more willing to give than we are to receive prayer isn't the overcoming of the reluctance of God to give prayer is rather the preparation of our hearts in order that God might give listen to what he says in Isaiah 44 3 I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground Jesus desires to meet each one of us as he did the woman of Samaria long, long ago. He looked into that sordid woman's life full of shame and sin, but he saw there a potential worshiper. He saw someone from whom he could drink of love and loyalty and allegiance. And he said, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, 
thou wouldst have asked of him and he would have given thee living water living water the water of which I speak says the Savior shall be in you a well of water springing up into everlasting life that my friend is God's intention for the refreshment of his people it's a generous intention it includes every one of us you my friend hidden away there in seeming obscurity you who talk about yourself as a non-entity you don't matter why bother about you God wants you he wants to gather us all together in his purpose of blessing and his genuine intention is that he will positively certainly give us water the water of refreshment the water of revival but will you notice further not only God's intention for the refreshment of his people but in the second place God's condition for the refreshment of his people look at verse 18 the princes dig the well the nobles of the people digged it by the direction of the lawgiver with their staves God's twofold condition for the refreshment of his people is first of all humble preparation and then secondly hearty expectation first and foremost humble preparation and will you notice that this preparation is viewed here both negatively and positively negatively it means the removal of obstructions may I repeat that the removal of obstructions the princes dig the well and the nobles of the people digged it apparently the well had once given its refreshing streams to pilgrims who passed to and fro but something had happened to it it had been filled up with debris and dirt God gave instructions through Moses that the obstructions should be removed and what impresses me beloved is that those who took the first step were the princes and the nobles they humbled themselves the leaders gave themselves to the humble task of clearing the well and they did it with their staves and those of you who are Bible students would know that each one of that each one of those staves was a rod of government upon that rod was the insignia and mark of authority but they would not stop at digging their rods and staves into the dirt to clear the well they bent themselves in humility they knelt to the task they got down to it and in a similar way I do not believe that God will ever open the mouth of the well to release his refreshing springs upon us until leaders and nobles of the people are prepared to do the same until every one of us here who calls himself a leader until every one of us who calls himself a responsible person within the fellowship takes the task and bows to the task and kneels to the task to remove the obstructions to the well I don't believe God will ever bless against his principles of blessing God has certain conditions and we must meet them right along the line of his direction undoubtedly there would be the surface sand speaking to my mind of the superficiality of carnal desire how sandy some Christians are how soon we can be satisfied with the ordinary level of Christian life how soon inertia overtakes us and we don't want to bend our necks we don't want to dig we don't want to get underneath the sand it's too much trouble we are satisfied with sand and not with living water there was not only the sand 
Undoubtedly, there were the stones and rocks that cluttered up this well. Do they speak to us of hard and proud hearts? Hearts that won't bend to the forgiving spirit? Hearts that won't say, well, look, O oh God, deal with me first, and then deal with my brother, but first deal with me. Deal with me. And then there was the debris and dirt. What does this speak to us of? Surely a picture of sin and evil and wickedness and all the horrible things that clutter up the mouth of the well. I think one of the most dreadful things in Christian circles today is this, that a man who calls himself a Christian and indeed might be born again can talk all the language of Canaan, can use the cliches, can speak of a life of purity and victory, whereas all the time down in his heart he's harboring sin, wickedness and vileness. The sand had to be cleared, the stones had to be cleared, the debris had to be cleared, the well's mouth had to be opened wide, and God said, do it. Humble preparation had to be followed Yes, by the removal of obstructions. But not only removal of obstructions, in this humble preparation there was the renewal of obedience. And they all did it by the direction of the lawgiver. And they all did it by the direction of the lawgiver. Verse 18, Moses stood as the voice of authority. His word to the people was dig, and they obeyed. They didn't question Moses. He was the leader of the people, and he said, dig! And they obeyed. Anybody could have challenged his word. They'd murmured against him before. One time they almost murdered him. But he said, dig! And they obeyed. Charles Finney says, revival is a new act of obedience to God. And revival only comes that way. The Holy Ghost, says the writer, whom God giveth to them that obey him. The Holy Ghost, whom God giveth to them that obey him. Only when we're prepared to go through with God, not only in the removal of obstructions, but in the renewal of obedience, does God break through from heaven and pour us out this blessing for which we long. In this humble preparation, there must be the renewal of obedience. I underline it. We were on it last Sunday morning. And it's the message of the Christian faith, obedience. And obedience, my brother, my sister, is not one solitary act. It's a habit of life. It's obedience in the morning. It's obedience at noonday. It's obedience at night. It's obedience right through. Obedience all the way. But with a humble preparation, there was a hearty expectation and this has been thrilling my soul in the early hours of this morning for as I look at verse 17 I note a spirit and heart of expectation spring up O well sang the children of Israel spring up O well sing ye unto it the work of preparation had been done the mouth of the well was open and the people stood around and sang to the well it was a song of expectation and as they sang bubble the water. As they sang, so the spring emerged. As they sang, so the water appeared. What is that hearty expectation? I suggest to you it is a lesson on prayer and faith. They sang to it. 
That's prayer. They believed the water would come up. That was faith. And my beloved friends and family here this morning, when we marry prayer and faith together, God does something. God always does something. Something happens. In Jonathan Goforth's book, By My Spirit, the author shows us how prayer and faith must precede every true spiritual revival. When I was here about two or three years ago during the Billy Graham crusade, I met a man who made one of the biggest impressions upon me. And the greatest regret of my life is that I haven't his name nor his address. He spoke at a little gathering to which Dr. Billy Graham had invited some of us. And the moment he opened his mouth, he made such an impact upon my life that I longed to know him. I wasn't, I wasn't interested in mere superficial greetings. There was something in that man that made me hungry for him. And I looked him out. And I asked him a few questions. And I discovered that spirit with spirit had an affinity. He told me something for which I've longed. I remember telling my people this when I returned back to England. Talking to him, he said, Brother, my greatest burden is for revival. And I found my heart strangely moved as I heard him say that. He said, let me tell you the story of something that happened in my church some 15 or 16 years ago. As the pastor of the church, I drew my elders and deacons around me and I shared with them this burden of revival. I took them through the scriptures and as they listened to me, being deeply spiritual men, they said, Pastor, we're with you. Nothing less than revival, but let God start with us. These men met with him and with God week after week, week after week, until God began to do such a work in their hearts. And I was thinking of the nobles and the princes mentioned in this passage. God did such a work in their hearts that soon the impact of their lives upon the congregation was simply terrific. When that pastor got up to preach, something happened in the audience. Why? Because God was working through this body of men. Soul after soul capitulated to the sovereignty of the Spirit. And one memorable Sunday morning, just as the minister was concluding his pastoral prayer, even before he had opened his mouth to declare the message planned, something happened. The Holy Ghost broke through and invaded that entire church. For three months, no one knew when a meeting began or, en or ended. People seemed to be strengthened by a supernatural power. And there was such an influx into the church that they had services beginning way in the morning and going right through into the night. Multitudes were converted. Do you know, as that man told the story with the tears streaming down his face, I asked him the question, my brother, is the blessing still going on? He said, we're still on the wave. We're still on the wave. The first great impact is over, but we feel that God is continuing to bless us in such a way that week by week we see things happening that can't be explained outside of the finger of God. Oh, I'm telling you, I make no apology for telling you that is my wish. That is my prayer. That is my heart longing for us here at Calvary. It is my heart longing. I don't want the name. We don't want a mere reputation. 
We don't want merely to be publicized. We don't want the, the note of the world outside. What we want and what we must long for is that God is pleased here in New York City to smile upon this church and to so send his spirit and to so touch lives that anything we plan can be swept clean out of the way because God wants to move and work. And that can only come by way of humble preparation and hearty expectation. The faith that believes, the faith that prays, the faith that goes right through with God. But there is another point I want to mention here this morning. Not only God's intention for the refreshment of his people. Not only God's condition for the refreshment of his people. And remember what it is, humble preparation, hearty expectation. But I want to remind you of God's provision for the refreshment of his people. And we come back to that verse 16 again. And God said, I will give them water. I will give them water. God's provision was a well in the wilderness. A well in the wilderness. Notice that it was a living provision. A living provision. Then Israel sang this song. Spring up, O well. My beloved folk here this morning, I want to tell you it was a well of living water, not a stagnant pool. It was a living well, not a stagnant pool. We live today in an age when everything is canned, when everything is kept stagnant. There's nothing living and what is true in the commercial and industrial and political world we're finding in our spiritual life. Everything's so ordinary. Everything's so mechanical. Everything is so human bound. Oh, we long for something that's living. Something which is entirely from heaven. God save us from stagnant pools in our lives and in our church. God give us a well, a well of living water. It was life in the midst of death. For the wilderness of Moab was an arid desert. But God always works that way. Always works that way. He did it at Pentecost. He did it at Pentecost. A little group of disciples, 120 of them, were gathered together in humble preparation and hearty expectation. All around them was death. The voice of Jesus had seemingly been silenced. He'd been crucified on a Roman gibbet. And dead orthodoxy abounded everywhere. The Jews and all who hounded the Savior to death, yes, had said it's finished, it's all over. There was death everywhere. And then God broke through from heaven. There was the sound of a mighty rushing wind and the Spirit descended upon them like tongues of fire and they were filled with the Spirit and 120 men and women walked out of that upper room into the temple courts and such was the impact of their lives upon the entire neighborhood that people gathered from every area of the city saying, what meaneth this? What meaneth this? Can you explain this? Are these people full of new wine? What has happened? Explain it. And it couldn't be explained. Why? It was supernatural. It was an invasion from heaven. Revival had come in the midst of death. A well in the wilderness. Have you studied the story of revivals? 
Only just recently I've read clean through again Professor Edwin Waugh's great work on the Second Evangelical Awakening. I wish you'd get hold of volumes on this great message and ministry of revival and soften your hearts and condition your minds afresh to what God could do. He's done it in the past. Can he not do it in the present and in the future? Is God changed? Is the text Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever gone? Have we passed out of the age of the Spirit? Is not still the prophecy of Joel to be fully realized in our midst? Where is the latter reign of revival? Are we not to see it fall before the Savior comes back again? I believe we are. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it happened right here? New York, this great city, was the scene of a great revival, as you know, that hit right throughout the state and beyond in a mighty, mighty manner not so many years ago. Not so many years ago. A century or so ago, God broke through in this great city when he found those who were prepared for humble preparation and hearty expectation. God can do new things amongst us if we fulfill the conditions. For his principle is life out of death. Nobody can talk about an impossible church. Nobody can talk about a hopeless situation. Nobody can talk about an absolute profligate life that cannot be touched. God can bring life out of death. A well in the wilderness. We only limit him by our unbelief. God can provide a well in the wilderness. A living provision. But what I'm thankful to see here is this. So often, so often crusades and campaigns and revival meetings so-called are a phase. It passes and it's gone. It's a day's experience. We touch heaven and then the week is right down in the valley again. But I notice here that it wasn't only a living provision. It was a lasting provision. The well whereof the Lord spake unto Moses. It was a well to which they returned again and again and again. For here was an inexhaustible supply. I don't know what the children of Israel numbered at this time, but if it was anything like their beginnings, then there must have been something like three and a half million people in addition to flocks and herds. But back they came again and again to find refreshing, refreshing streams of living and lasting water. God's provision is always living. It's always lasting. For what he does, he does forever. And I don't want a revival that's going to break into our church and then leave us, as it were, high up on the seashore while the tide recedes. While the tide recedes, what I want to know is an experience of continuous revival in my life, in our lives. For God's purpose is continuous revival right through to the coming again of our blessed Lord. Oh, my prayer is that we today might know this times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. But as I draw this message to a conclusion, I want to ask personally, you listening at the radio, you in this great audience here this morning, tell me, my friend, tell me, do you believe it's God's intention to bless his people like this? Do you believe that God means it when he says, gather my people together and I will give them water? Do you believe that that is God's purpose, that is his intention of blessing for your life and for the church? Do you really believe it? Do you really believe it? Do you believe that it's his generous intention? Do you believe that it's his genuine intention? 
Will you tell him? Will you tell him in the silence of your own heart? Let me ask you another question. If that is God's intention, are you prepared to fulfill the condition? Are you prepared for the removal of all obstructions? I don't care what they are. The sand, the stones, the debris, the dirt. Are you prepared to take that rod of your authority and lower it to the very dust until you begin to dig out things that obstruct God's movement of the Spirit? Are you prepared for a renewal of your obedience? Are you prepared to say, Oh God, as from now, not a solitary act, but as a habit of life, I go through with thee? Are you prepared for prayer and faith and expectation? And are you prepared for the provision of living and lasting water? The water of refreshment, the water of revival, which God wants to pour out upon us. It was Charles Wesley who put the prayer into my mouth and into my heart that I want you to pray here this morning. Listen to it. Plenteous grace with thee is found. Grace to cover all my sin. Let the healing streams abound. Make and keep me pure within. Thou of life the fountain art. Let me freely take of thee. Spring thou up within my heart. Rise to all eternity. Spring thou up within my heart. Stephen Olford, my heart. Rise to all eternity. Will you pray that prayer? Will you mean it this morning? Let us bow together in prayer. Let's have a moment of quietness. This busy world in which we live, we've lost, we've lost the art of meditation. We daren't be still for fear of our nerves, or for fear of the next engagement, or for the fear of being seen. We're in the house of God. It may be that you are in your home, in your car. Would you pull alongside somewhere and be still just for a moment? A well in the wilderness a well in the wilderness and God wants to make that life of yours a well in the wilderness we talk about the juvenile delinquency all around us we talk about the sin and degradation of our city yes and it's a bleeding sore it breaks the heart of the risen Savior above and all who have sympathy and all who have any feeling at all but my friend, in the midst of sin and darkness and death, you can be a sweet springing well. You can be a well of water bubbling up into life everlasting. Do you believe it? Will you fulfill the conditions? Will you accept the provision, living and lasting as it is? Will you? Will you? Then will you pray that simple prayer again? Perhaps after me, just as you bow your head, I want to pray it again. Addressing the Lord Jesus, will you say this? Thou of life, the fountain art, freely let me take of thee, spring thou up within my heart. Rise to all 
eternity. Oh, blessed Lord and Savior, take this word in all its inadequacy and yet with its profound implications and possibilities. Bring it home afresh to my heart and to each one of our hearts bowed here this morning. We long to be wells in the wilderness. God make us each a well. God give us the grace to remove the obstructions that the waters may spring forth and flow out in blessing to the myriads who need Jesus Christ. Because we ask it for thy dear name's sake. Amen. This is David Olford. You have been listening to a message from God's Word delivered by my late father, Dr. Stephen F. Olford, who went to be with the Lord in the year 2004. If you wish to learn about our online resources or learning events at the Institute for Biblical Preaching, our web address is olford.org. That's O-L-F-O-R-D dot org. You also may want to benefit from our online video training on expository preaching, which can also be found on our website. Thank you so much for listening.